welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Exhortation by David Francis on September 18th, Lord's Day Service. Our text this morning is Deuteronomy chapter 15, excuse me, chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll read the first five verses. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, He is one, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Let us pray. Our Father, thank you for calling us for making Yourself known to us through Your prophets and apostles, for revealing Your Word. May we keep it, may we walk in it, and receive Your blessing. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Thus far in our study of Christian paideia, the word used in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, we've talked about how paideia is not just a series of things you do, boxes that you check off where you can say, I've done it, now I'm just waiting to see everybody do what they're supposed to do. My job is taken care of. Go ahead and put my little picture in the what is... Christian paideia look like as a parent, and you'll see me right there. We wouldn't say that, but sometimes we can think that way. No, paideia is an atmosphere, and and it's something we must cultivate. It takes time. We've also looked at how, in many ways, it is us extending our own discipleship in Christ to our children. We're called to certain things as disciples. And Christian paideia is us handing it off. It's us living this out before our kids. So that's why a sermon like this or like the others is not just something where adults who are married parents listen to it and everybody else can just tune out and think whatever else is coming to your mind. I don't want to give you any ideas. Today we come to one of the most famous passages of discipleship in all of Scripture. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 5. 
There's more in this chapter, and we'll cover that at a later time, but this morning I want to take a broader look at the race we are running together. Parents, grandparents, and children. He, Moses mentions all of those in this passage. It establishes the foundation of our work as parents. And it also, these verses give us a clear goal to pursue in raising our children. So today, we will look at the ground and the goal of Paideia. To begin with, the ground of Paideia is our covenant with God. God called us into covenant with Him, into a relationship together. He, he's, he called Israel here. He's, the book of Deuteronomy is Him reminding them of the covenant that He has made, of the stipulations that are involved. And the, our covenant with God is not only as individuals. We have to escape the, 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 the modern liberal mindset. The liberal mindset says that life is about me and whoever my leader is. So if you're a secularist, my, the only one I answer to is the government, right? And the government has done everything it can over the last decades to eliminate all other relationships that could compete with your relationship to them. Covenantal thinking restricts that. For covenantal thinking, our relationship with God is not only as individuals, but it's households. We don't pursue, as parents, we don't pursue paideia in hopes of making Christians. God makes people. He takes our children and He brings them into fellowship with Him. We can't do anything ourselves to flip what we need to flip in them. We pursue, though, paideia. We pursue our children. We teach and we guide them from within the covenant. We rest on God's promises given to those in the covenant. The good news is good news to all who hear, to all who belong to God. These commands in Deuteronomy 6 were given to parents with the covenant promises in the background. So, that brings us to an immediate small sticky point. Using all this covenantal language, are you saying, preacher, that the only way these promises can be, that I can extend them to my children is if they are baptized? Well, let me tell you, we have our beliefs as a church. But you know what? The good news of the gospel is good news you can give to your children, period, because God has blessed you with those children. 
The good news of the gospel is not, well, either you hold everything that I hold to, or, sorry, you're just going to have to wing it, buddy. No. It's good news all the way down. The promises of God are to you and to your children. And if you're raising your children to serve the Lord, I would say embrace the promises with all of your heart. Hold to the good news and give that good news to your kids. Salvation is not by works. We don't attain it. We as parents don't attain it. Our children do not attain it through works. It is all the grace of God. God's command in Deuteronomy 6, He says, is to fathers, sons, and grandsons. The commands are multi-generational because the covenant of God is multi-generational. Think of it like this. It's like this huge relay race. Now, of course, we know what a relay race looks like. You have one runner who has the baton. He goes all the way around, and then he hands it to another. But the other one doesn't just stand there with his arms crossed saying, all right, let's go. No, he starts running along so that the passing of the baton can be smooth, and you don't lose time in the race. So think of it like this. The, the, the race that, that we are running together, we are running and we are teaching our children to run with us. And we, thankfully, have older adults in the faith who are also running. So we're all running together. And yes, the baton is passed, but just because you've passed the baton in some ways doesn't mean you say, I'm done, I'm out. I'm older, I've passed the baton, now it's my kids, and I'm just, I'm just going to sit back and take my ease. No, we run until the Lord calls us out of this current race into His presence. So it's this one beautiful, lovely group who's just all running together. And then when the time comes, the baton is passed and we keep on running. We continue as an example until the Lord calls you away. That's covenantal language. That's the good news of the covenant. The, the good news is you're not in the race by yourself. It's not me and Jesus and then maybe I'll see somebody else along the way. No, we're running together. So take this mindset as you are teaching your kids. We run together in the covenant of God because he's called us all into that covenant. So we have the ground of Paideia as God's covenant, but then what is the goal? The goal of Paideia is loving God and loving our neighbor. He says very clearly, verse 4 and 5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, later on, the secondary commandment is added to this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we are pushing our children towards. We're, we're pushing them to hear. Right? 
Hear, O Israel. Now that word is not, when he says hear, it doesn't mean just let the word go in this ear and hopefully roll around and then fall out the other one. You let it come in and you, re you receive it. You think on it. You hear that the Lord is the one, the true God. So we are not polytheistic. We don't embrace a multitude of gods. We believe in one God. And because we believe in that one God, we are called to love Him. Even the, the command there to love the Lord your God Love implies relationship. Now we have authorities. We have physical authorities God has placed over us. Should we honor our authorities? Of course we're called to honor them. From the president all the way down to your local police officer, we honor them. But love means that there is a deeper binding relationship. So again, it's pointing back to the covenant language. And throughout the sermon, I, I'm going to tell you, we can't escape that. Covenant language comes up again and again. But, but the goal that we have for our kids, we should desire that they hear, that they receive, and that they love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and strength. It's not merely obedience, because love, true love, displays itself in obedience. So we, as parents, we have to think very carefully, very critically, lest modern ideas of success overshadow biblical ideas of success. Many parents... And I'm sure we could name ourselves, most of us in this room could, would name ourselves in this. Many parents want their kids. A goal that you have for your kids is, I want my kids to have a better education than I had. Right? And we're making specific choices in that, in teaching them either at home, in taking them to a private Christian school, but we, we, we want their education to be sound, to be solid. That's a good thing. Others want their kids to have financial success. Because as we know, Social Security may not be around, so we want our kids to be successful so that hopefully when we're older we can be moderately successful because our kids are going to be contributing in some way to that. Incidentally, I'll just say, when I used to teach economics, it was always a lot of fun. And you could always count on watching students' faces droop when I would say, guess what? You know the Social Security you're counting on? You better be really good to your kids because it's not going to be around. So if you have plenty of kids and you take care of those kids, they will be taking care of you. The government's not going to take care of you. And it was amazing some of the almost religious experience of, of fear and you know, everything that would come over everyone when you think about that. that. That's a good thing, though, when you think forward in the future like that. But is it the most important thing? Or, or maybe we want our kids to have uh, good status, 
a lot of influence, more influence than we have. Or even some people, they, you know, their goal in training their kids is, I want my kid to be able rhetorically to own the liberals in every argument. Never lose an argument to the glory of God. Because if you put the glory of God on it, anything sounds good, right? Just say that phrase. But scripturally, the goal is for our kids to love God, to love their neighbor. And, as he will say later on in Deuteronomy 6, to enjoy the blessings that God sends. That's what faithfulness looks like. That, that, that's what raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord looks like. It looks like them loving God, loving their neighbor, and enjoying His blessings. So, what are your goals for your kids? What do you want for your kids more than anything else? Well, how do you pray for them? What are you praying for your kids? When, when you pray for what they will become, when, when you're praying specifically for them and you're asking the Lord to do certain things for them, is it those first goals that I mentioned? And again, those are not bad. They must be ordered properly, though. Or when you correct your kids, and sometimes when you're correcting your kids, you actually hear yourself, you will hear yourself say things that you've not consciously thought about before. You will find yourself at times when, when, when your child has done something that, that, that's wrong, you will find yourself saying things and, and you will hold up a standard to them. Do you want to grow up and be like this? Or... You, you, if you continue in this way, you will not achieve X. And you'll find yourself saying all kinds of things sometimes that you didn't know you had thought. You won't get a college education if you act like this. People will not accept you in, in the business world if you act like that. You will have no friends when you, if you continue to do this. Now again... I'm not condemning the way we speak to our kids necessarily, but think. Because at those times when you're feeling pressed, when you look at your child and you see them going down one certain path, your greatest desire for them is what's going to come out of your mouth. So what is that? As parents, we must submit our desires to the Lord and ask Him to order, or in some cases, reorder, those desires. Our goals for our children must be ordered according to God's eternal standards and not our temporal standards. And along this line, our vision for them should include us walking with them throughout their lives. I've already touched on this briefly, but we should... Let go of the idea that says we teach our kids, but then when they're 18 or they're 21, we send them out and we just kind of wait and see and, and, and pray. But that's all we can do. We send them out of the house and just watch. Again, the covenant comes back in here. 
Loving and teaching our kids does not stop at 18. Or 21. Or when they get married and leave the house. Yes, leaving and cleaving is necessary. So I'm not saying that you as a parent are called to continue inserting yourself into your married child's life. Say, no, I actually don't agree with what your husband said to do here. I think you need to do this. That's wrong. But you should continue to use what God has given you, the relationship that you have to, to bless, to encourage, to guide, and to live faithfully before your kids until death. You will, be teach, you will teach your children until you take your last breath. And at your last breath, you will have taught your kids how to die. And that should be the last thing you do. And by God's grace, you will do it well. But they're learning from you all the time. This continues again because there is a covenantal relationship we're not called to flashiness. We're not called to be famous or to raise our kids to be famous. We're called to faithfulness. So with that said, what does it look like when we achieve the goal? Goals are great, but we need concrete examples. If we don't have examples people who have lived, who have gone before us, then we're going to fill in the blanks ourselves with our own ideas. God made us with a desire to see ideas enfleshed. So what does it take to form children with the strength of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Esther? What does it take for us to help build and to form young adults who walk with God, who stand strong in the midst of affliction and are courageous in persecution and wise in trials? They need heroes. Heroes are inescapable. Your children will look to certain examples, either real those who have lived in the past, or those in literature. So our job as parents is to point our kids to faithful examples who faced trials and came through them. So who were your heroes growing up? And maybe you didn't use the word, but who are the people, the men, the women that you looked up to when you were young? Those that you wanted to be like. For generations in the past, Americans had heroes like George Washington, Theodore Roosevelt, Abigail Adams, or literary characters like Robin Hood, Aeneas, Joe March from Louisa May Alcott's Little Women, or Anne Shirley by L.M. Montgomery. They filled the imagination with great examples. Adults, the men and women you admire, whether real or not, those you admire go a long way in deciding who your kids will admire. And I don't just mean the people that you say, you should look up to this person. I mean, granted, you, you can say all you want to, 
that Beowulf is a great example, but if you've never read Beowulf to your kids, if you've never told them the story, it's not going to go very far. So it's something you have to hand to them. You don't just say, point to someone and say, be like that. You have to give heroes to your kids. That means you have to actually admire them yourself first. And then in order to pass them off. So that means we have to evaluate who we hold in high esteem. If you uphold athletes, movie stars, and politicians, don't be surprised when your kids do the same. And again, it's not just the words. It's who you talk about, who you love. You see, who you love is who your kids will love. One simple application of this is to just give, to pass down good heroes. Read about godly men and women in the past who were used by God. So biographies. Biographies of people like George Mueller, Francis and Edith Schaefer, Schaefer, St. Patrick of Ireland, Mary Slessor, Catherine Parr. They're great places to start. Maybe you don't like biographies. Maybe you want something else. I would be careful in literary men and women. And by, by careful, I don't mean that they, they have to, you know, say the Apostles' Creed in a book every other page in order for it to be a decent book for you to read to your kids. But in Christian, in the literature of Christendom, there was a standard held for what a virtuous man and woman looked like. So give yourself and give to your kids those who hold these standards, authors who, who present wisdom in their work. And again, whether or not it's actually someone who has no flaws, I'm not saying you have to have perfect characters because there's a lot of them that are not perfect. But you can learn a lot from good men and women, from good characters in literature. Beyond, though, people in our own time or great works of fiction, we should point to those who persevered in faith in Scripture. Not just paying lip service, but studying their lives, meditating on them, learning from them. The prophet Daniel and his friends are really good examples for us, especially for our time. They loved God and loved their neighbor. Daniel is one of the few men of whom we have significant writings, but no record of sin. Not saying he was sinless. He was not. The first six chapters of the book of Daniel are a testimony to how he and his friends did not compromise, yet still could work in the heart of Babylon as open followers of the one true God. We might think 
It's impossible to work for an evil regime. I can't do it. So the, the, only, the only thing I can do is to go to something else. And that's fine. But Daniel proves the other side of that. That you can work in many different places for many different people. He was a faithful man. And the lessons from him are abundant. But I want you to think about Daniel's parents. Daniel went into Babylon probably when he was an older teenager. His parents had undoubtedly taught him in the Lord's ways until he was carried away. If there were ever unnamed MVPs, that is, most valuable parents, Daniel's parents would count. He was taught love of the Torah, and he certainly had much of it memorized. Daniel was a man of prayer, wisdom, courage, and rhetoric. There are lessons on top of lessons from Daniel and many others, but they don't come to us from just a brief cursory reading of the stories. These are stories that we must hear over and over and over again. We should saturate our home in the wisdom of God's Word, and particularly in the stories. When our kids are young, they need the stories of Scripture. That's what God was telling His people in Deuteronomy 6. He, he was, Deuteronomy 6 is not Him saying, read the Ten Commandments every day, at least three times a day, and then read all the other laws at least once a month, and then you'll be okay. What is most of the first five books? Stories. Much of the book of Deuteronomy is rehearsing what happened in the past. There are stories and stories and stories in the Torah. And some of these people are not great. Some of the good guys have their, their flaws, their sins. But they have much to teach us. So don't approach the stories of Scripture, though, as simple moral tales. So when we want to have sometimes our worldview just right, we say, all right, here's the story. We're going to list five good things, three bad things, and now you take this home and think about it. I mean, you can do it that way, but it's much more, instead of just a moral tale, it's much more in the line of telling a family story about great uncle so-and-so. Because I want to tell you, this is... You, you are adopted into the same family as Daniel. That's good news. This is our family. It is our adopted family. They're not just God's people. They're your people. These are family stories. And one day, by God's grace, we will actually talk with Daniel. We will talk with Jeremiah. We will talk with Esther and many others. And we will hear from them firsthand. And they will not tell us like they're speaking at a conference and we're having to sit five million people in the back row. We'll have the privilege of talking with 
them. That's why the covenant language is so so great. Think of Hebrews chapter 11. All those, those verses about being people who are strong in faith. How does he then begin chapter 12? Get rid of the chapter break there in your mind. You have all these great examples of faith. And then the author says, Wherefore, being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The picture is this huge stadium with people who are watching. And so who are the witnesses who are watching? Well, some of them are those who have gone before us. So as long as we are in this life, we're running this race together. Mom, dad, kids, aunts, uncles, grandparents, great-grandparents, we're, we're running. Friends, neighbors, we're running the race together. And then there's these witnesses, all who have gone before us. And we're all rooting together because we're on the same team. We have family who's gone before And pointing to that family as our example, he's saying, you now can run. Not by yourself, run with your kids. Now, of course, this is not as easy as it sounds. It's tough at times. Kids are not always obedient. Parents are not always easy to obey. But there's a lot more to this than try harder. The same God who called you, who brought you into His covenant, has led you up to this point. You have received these promises. And because He's brought you into this covenant, He has called you and your kids together, just as He's called those before you. If you belong to the Lord, wherever you are, trust His good promises. Trust that He will preserve you. And you can say, I've not been doing this stuff. There, there's a lot that I feel. There's, there's weight that I feel. I've made mistakes with my kids. Uh, and that's just this morning before church and not even counting what was happening yesterday and the rest of the week. And, and you, know, you can recite all of these things. We parents, we know where we make mistakes and maybe once every now and then we'll even admit some of them. But we know we, we, we do this and we, can, we say to ourselves, I'm too far behind. I'm not doing these things well. God's not finished with you. Wherever you are right now, he doesn't say, why are you not way further ahead? He says, start here. Run the race from the spot where your feet are currently planted. So you may need to adjust your expectations. Now when I say adjust your expectations, that's not to say you can coast from here on out. Put it in neutral and just glide into glory. No. 
But don't give in to frustration that you or your family are not where you wish to be. Start here and walk with God and with your family. Parenting from lofty expectations is deadly on relationships. When we parent out of fear or frustration, we're not helping our kids. We're just trying to outrun the feelings of panic that are trying to overtake us. So don't do that. Don't panic. Wherever you are, the Lord knows it. He knows where you are, and He says, Fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the fire, I'll be with you. That's His words. You are His. So go wherever you are. There should, there, there, there's no need for panic where God's promises abound. Start wherever you are. Pursue this good work and rest in the good promises of God. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's Trinity Reformed K-I-R-K. Thank you.